Hello everyone, I'm Joe Spector, President and General Director of Arizona Opera, and welcome to another episode of Unmiked, the show where we find how the world of opera connects to just about everything else. And we have a really special episode today. Uh, this is the first time we've had an episode with two couples instead of individuals. And uh, they're both involved in the arts, uh, one couple heavily involved in opera, uh, one involved in the worlds of um, theater and uh, film, and, uh, and, all, and all of whom I'm really, really happy to have with us today. Uh, so first, from the world of opera, I'm uh, really pleased to introduce uh, Stephen Costello, an internationally renowned uh, tenor, currently performing at the Metropolitan Opera and other places, and Yoon Kwan Costello, a wonderful violinist, a member of the Arizona, uh, excuse me, not the Arizona Opera Orchestra, although we could, we could look into that, the <laughs> Metropolitan Opera Orchestra, uh, also an accomplished chamber musician. And then from the world of musicals and film, we have Bobby Lopez and Kristen Anderson Lopez, uh, a, a wonderful couple who have had a huge impact in uh, pop culture and in theater, uh, probably maybe best known through their work on uh, co-collaborating on the writing of uh, Frozen. Uh, as a father of two daughters, I have personal thanks for many Let It Goes performed with hula hoops <laughs> in the backyard of my home in, in Austin and then in Arizona. So thank you so much for being here today, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. It's such an honor. Hey, no, it's, 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 it's my honor, really, really. Uh, so let's just start out with uh, how you all met, because I think, you know, uh, there's obviously uh, workplace romances, no matter what your field is. But uh, when it comes to the arts, uh, sometimes those romances are a little bit more visible and they sometimes have, uh, you know, unique kindling because of, you know, the unique work environments that we uh, that we meet in and the, and the work that we create together. So, uh, so let me start off with uh, Bobby and Christian, if you could share uh, just how you met and what that journey has been like for you. You wanna go? Sure. You, you, yeah. you start. Well, um, we, we met at a moment before either of us were really getting to work at our, you know, at our profession. We met in a workshop, um, which was a, you know, a fancy word for uh, you know, a writing class called the BMI uh, Layman Angle Musical Theater Writing Workshop, which is, mm -hmm. a, it's a, it's been around forever. Um, Alan Menken came out of it, Ed Kleban from Chorus Line, Lynn Ahrens and Stephen Flaherty that did Ragtime, Michael John Lacusa, lots of wonderful composers and lyricists have come through. Uh, and um, so- Janine Pessori, right, yeah, Janine? Janine. Who straddles um, into the land of opera? She has, yes, with uh, the opera Blue that's recently been uh, come out and has received uh, quite a bit of positive acclaim. Yes. Well, anyway, it's a great place, and I was I was in the third year, the advanced class, and Kristen was a first year um, student, so we weren't in the same class yet. Uh, and I guess it was the very first night that we that Jeff Marks and I had ever um, performed any songs from Avenue Q. Um, our first show that would eventually go to Off-Broadway and then to Broadway. Mm -hmm. And um, and Kristen came up to me after we performed a couple of songs and was just so excited to talk to me. And I was just so excited that any female was excited to talk to me because <laughs> I was living in my parents' place and writing a puppet musical at the time. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and um, just the fact that I had reached this one person meant that Avenue Q had done its job. Amazing. <laughs> uh, 
the song Fixer Upper um, uh, from Frozen, actually, I used to talk about Bobby as a fixer upper to my friends because like there would always be like so wait he lives (laughs) with his parents and he's writing a puppet musical i was like yeah but his parents are awesome (laughs) they're just roommates they're just roommates so Uh, so what year was that that you guys met that was fall of 1999 and i i should also say that i like many females had sort of been given the message growing up as someone who loved creating story and music in like in my backyard, directing mm. it, producing it, starring in it. Um, but I had gotten the message that I had to be a performer because mm-hmm. there were so few females doing the writing and doing the directing. I see. Um, but at the year that I met Bobby, I had finally kind of seen the light and had this big epiphany that I was supposed to be a writer. Um, and that that used all the parts of me, um in the best way because i'm still able to sing and make music um but without the anxiety of Mm -hmm. begging for a job every time Mm -hmm. i want to do it Mm -hmm. and also take my giant imagination and my natural proclivity for writing and trying to organize melody into words Mm -hmm. um which my father has as well um i think it's like an ocd thing but um (laughs) uh you know, I, I had was in the middle of this heady time of discovering what I was truly supposed to do. And then there was this really cute guy who wrote these amazing songs and had this incredible twinkly sparkle in his eye. And um, and I kind of fell in love very quickly with him and with this new chapter in my life. Amazing. And I remember that that twinkly sparkle from when uh, Bobby and I were resident assistants together at uh, the Boston University Tanglewood Institute in 1996. Now, Bobby, if I remember right at that time, you were composing classical music. Am I remembering that right? Well, I was in college, yeah. I I was in composition class, and I, you know, I wanted to write string quartets and all that stuff, and and didn't know if I maybe would one day want to write an opera, but um, the, uh, the path that I ended up taking was was more towards songwriting. I definitely realized that that was my big strength. And I, certainly as a, as I went down the road of collaborating on songs, um, things went further towards, you know, my, my, um, my affinity for pop and musical mm-hmm. theater sensibilities. So you had that same kind of epiphany as Kristen at some point where you, that light switch went on and said, this is the, the genre in which I can find my voice where I have the most to contribute. It was hard for me, you know. It was a struggle to write um, long forms, and it always has been. I, mm-hmm. That's a that's something that I want to look at in the second half of my uh, my career. But um, but yeah, the path of least resistance was to write write songs. I'm fe- I'm feeling like a, a sequel to Do Valkyrie coming up. Oh, yeah. uh, in your future. Yeah, we'll have to talk about that. You have no idea. Uh, <laughs> I, might, I might have an idea. Uh, so, so Stephen and Yoon, same question. Now, uh, Bobby and Kristen met when, when their uh, current careers were sort of in their nascent stage. Uh, both of you uh, had already reached a very high level of uh, visibility and success when you met. Tell us a little bit about that. Do you want to go? I, no, I'm sorry, it's really not that interesting. I was, I was. Well, uh, I mean, if you want the G-rated version, was enough. Well, <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, that's unmiked oh, after dark. No. <laughs> we, want the, we want the adult version. Let's give the let's give the PG-13 version, not quite Avenue Q version. <laughs> give, us, give us Mozart in the Jungle. 
<laughs> okay, Mozart in the jungle. There, we can sell the uncut spot. version after this. Like okay, I said, very good. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we actually uh, well, Union tells me we met a, a while like before we actually started dating. We met at a restaurant after one of the shows. She came in with a conductor friend, and I was sitting there with some colleagues. And uh, he was on vocal rest. Yeah, I don't remember. Of course, she's a tenor. Uh, actually, we had like kind of parallel lives. I think. I think your debut at the Met was what year? Two thousand. Uh, two thousand seven. And I think that's the year I started as well. So we kind of started our Met careers together. And I always remembered him, of course, because I'm down in the pit looking at all the the talented and you know some cute singers, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I mm-hmm. always remembered him. But uh, the timing just never worked out. Um, we never, you know, we don't really get to meet one another very often mm-hmm. um but after that party how did we meet yeah after after, after that party i think i was doing the merry widow at the met which is the same season but later in, in the spring and uh i i was in my apartment after rehearsal and i think i got a message on twitter from a yun kwan asking if i was in the uh cafeteria today uh-huh. and of course i looked at it and i looked at the picture and i said absolutely i was in the cafeteria and uh, uh i think we just kind of went out from there and we just we hit it off and uh we didn't really, I mean, even at that point, we were just kind of casually seeing each other. Yeah, we were both not ready for anything serious at that point. Yeah, because the uh, our schedules, well, my schedule is, is ridiculous. You know, I'm, at that point, I wasn't living in New York. I wasn't living uh, actually remotely close to New York. So uh, I was uh, flying back and forth when I worked at the Met. I was maybe there for two months, and then I was gone for the rest of the year. And then um, it wasn't until, uh, I think, 2017... Seven where uh, I was doing Romeo and Juliet at the Met. And after that, we really just started seeing each other formally, got together and- uh, Three months later. Yeah, three months later. We got got married. married. Uh, Wow. Well- That was quick. As, a, as an old friend of Stephen, um, I'm, I'm so uh, grateful to see how happy you guys are together and how happy you make each other, so. Yeah, but you know, it's um, funny. We did, we, did have, we did have parallel lives. I mean, like for instance, I made my professional debut in, Oh, a, a small beach city called Ocean City, New, Jer- in Ocean oh, City, right. New Jersey. I remember the orchestra, that. You made her <laughs> professional debut also with that same orchestra. Unbelievable. Uh, years before I did, but it was yeah. just, the similarities are just, yeah. are, are nuts. There's, there's kismet there. Yeah, I believe it. I, I have to go back for a second to, to mention the, the Metropolitan Opera uh, Cafe, or the cafeteria uh, for Bobby and Kristen's benefit and for every for everyone that's watching the show. It's it's the most magical place because uh, it looks like, I don't know, Stephen, it, it kind of feels like a little bit like um, like a room you might find in an old casino uh, in Atlantic City. You know, it's got these muted sort of burgundy and and brownish kind oh, of yeah. tones. It's like a bad like 19, <laughs> like what, 60s diner that never it's, got updated. It, it never bad. got updated for Mike on the tables and so forth. And you walk through this place to to uh, to an area that's, you know, very similar to, you know, your high school cafeteria with, you know, different stations and that kind of thing. But on the pathway through the through the cafeteria, you could see people who are stagehands, orchestra members, uh, you know, Renee Fleming, the greatest opera singers in the world. And they're all just there having their, you know, their their fried chicken and mashed potatoes or whatever it might be. And, uh, you know, I was, I, I was lucky enough to work at the Met for five years and get to experience that cafeteria. I think it's just, uh, it's it's like the cantina in Star Wars in its own way, you know? It really is. You know, although they stopped the grill, so you can't really get a lot of 
Lot they stop the grill. Oh, forget it then. Oh. We've got to cut this part of the show. <laughs> you will never find a more wretched hive of scum and villain. <laughs> there there you go. Talk, talk about, I mean, that was a, that was a, a space opera, right? Isn't that the way you describe <laughs> exactly. it? Um, well, okay. So we, we've covered uh, how you met and sort of where you were in your lives when you met and parallels in your artistic careers and so forth. You know, we've just gone through this incredibly challenging uh, period of time in the arts and you know, we've had to lean on each other, whether that's in our, our um, personal relationships or, or our organizations and the public and so forth. We've, we've had to um, connect in all kinds of different ways and find support in each other in all kinds of different ways. Um, reflecting on your relationship, um, how, how has being a couple, uh, you know, through the arc of your career been something that's been challenging and also ways in which it's been um, not, just, not just creatively uh, fruitful, but uh, in, in ways that you've been able to find um, kind of emotional strength, because it is such a hard career, no matter where we are in this ecosystem that we're all a part of. Um, why, don't, why don't we start with, with Stephen and Yoon on this, and then we'll go to Bobby and Kristen. Uh, you know, I think it's, for me, it's been very beneficial. In a way. I mean, because she plays all the shows that I'm in at the Met. She can work her schedule to the point, so every show I'm on, she can play in the orchestra. And for me, artistically, it's great to have that that opinion of someone you trust that, you know, is not afraid to tell you the honest truth. So if I can come off after a rehearsal with the orchestra or a show and I'll ask her, how was this or how was that? And she'll honestly tell me if she liked something, if she didn't like something, mm. uh, things I could do better if I was out of tune here, if I wasn't focused enough here. And uh, for me, it, it elevates your performance because uh, you, you, you know that she's not saying it in a, in a bad way, just in a way to make you, a better performer in that in the next show uh for for the the difficulties or the schedule the schedule is with her job she does i don't know 100 and some performances at the met it's hard for her to get time off i'm gone mm -hmm. for three months at a time maybe uh i'm home for maybe two weeks before i have to leave again uh so it, that poses a lot of challenges i mean it was a, a challenge especially in the beginning because you know, I think that our first year that we were married, we were apart. He was gone like eight months out of the year. So I was basically commuting. I think he was in Paris for most of the time. And I was commuting every two weeks or so just so we can spend a few days together. Amazing. But wow. um, I mean, we met when we were older. So I think it's kind of in a way nice that we get our alone time, though, because it gives us a chance to miss each other and to appreciate the time that we have. Because, you know, I. Being married, I mean, we've only been married almost, what, seven years now? Six years? Three, six years. Six years. But, I mean, it could be like 20 years like this, and then you kind of take each other for granted. And I think we're lucky in the way that not only we share music, our passions together, mm -hmm. but we are able to, like, continue to have that freshness every time we come together. And sometimes we meet in another country. It's like a little honeymoon, a little trip. Um, so that's nice. And for me, I was – I've been – able to appreciate my job more because I've been in this orchestra now for 16 seasons. So wow. that's a long time. Amazing. And, you know, it's also easy to like, just see your perspective of things, like see just what's going on right next to you or in the pit, but to be able to like hear his stories and the struggles and challenges, like the singers and the production and everyone else, I mean, it's such a huge thing, opera. Mm -hmm. And to be able to just appreciate and be open to all of those um, elements have really made my job more um, rewarding, I guess. 
I mean, and as much as like something like COVID was damaging to our business in those two years, uh, it was the first time for us to that we actually had a normal marriage, a normal relationship. Amazing. You know, I was home, I was around the house, doing right. things around the house, you know, making dinner together, you know, do, fixing things. You know, it was just, mm-hmm. that was the first time I yeah. think, I mean, and that was probably what, uh, four years into our marriage. Yeah. So. Wow. Yeah, we we like, I think that was like ten years of our marriage in one year. <laughs> that, so it took it took a pandemic to make your marriage normal for a period of time, is what you're saying. <laughs> That's amazing. I, I just I just have to mention, you know, you two did a, a really beautiful performance of uh, Salut de Mer, the Teneraria from Faust. I, re- I can't remember what it was for, um, but I remember you you yeah. playing the violin solo for that and you singing. And I guess you were at your home at that time. It was really touching. Thank you. Um, so, uh, so, so that's great uh, that you have a, or that you're open enough uh, to be able to share, uh, you know, supportive words or constructive criticism, and and that's a lot of vulnerability. I remember uh, in an interview, I think it was, or or perhaps in the book about UC Bierling's life, Annalisa Bierling said that she would would never give UC um, the the famous tenor uh, criticism the night of a show. It was always the next day, and it takes a lot to hear from a loved one. Hey, you know, this could have been a little bit different. Um, so, Bob, Bobby, and Kristen, uh, to you, uh, since you collaborate so closely together, what is what is that? What is that support system like for you? Where are the challenges, and what have you found that's beautiful in it that people might not know about? Um, our situation is the complete opposite to you and Stephen um, in that we spend every moment of every day together and we do everything together unless we're on zoom like this Mm. unless we're on we're in separate rooms like in fact we this is chosen because we are together so much that we decided (laughs) we needed space on zoom i Mm. needed we needed to not be (laughs) scrunching into the same one camera um and you know this was a decision that we made very consciously In about 2011, we had two very small children and he had projects and I had projects. And it was after um, going through a a year where we had projects competing with each other, not only for time, but for awards. And um, it was a very weird year uh, where we were on, we we were sharing categories and up against each other. Wow. Uh, Amazing. And uh and it was sort of a very conscious moment for us to say, I think for the good of our children, we had like a five and a one-year-old at that point, we need to uh, really align. And we had already sort of found that we loved working together anyway, and we made each other stronger in different ways. Um, and we kind of said, all right, let's, let's really do this and mm-hmm. kind of um, unify so that we're only dealing with one schedule and juggling the demands of everything around one schedule. That didn't mean that was easy because it still involved going to LA for, you know, several times a year for at least three day junkets while we're working on animation. And what do we do with our two children in Brooklyn? Um, uh, We figured it out and it made it much easier that there was only one career schedule we were Mm -hmm. juggling. Mm -hmm. Um, but effectively turns us into a single parent. Yeah. We wow. have the same problems that, you know, single moms have. Yeah. Because, because we are, there's never a need for one of us to be away. Wow. Um, That's such a big choice. I mean, I have there been other couples that you're aware of in your space that have made that 
kind of conscious choice. It, it was, a, I mean, it seems like kind of a brave decision to make to say we're going to be arm in arm in this career, you know, for the good of our, ourselves, our, our career, our children. I mean, I, I, I'm hard pressed to think about that, that motivation and another, another couple. Did you have a model you were following or is it just something where you said, this is what we have to do? The, the funny thing was, I think it, it, um, there's a, there's another narrative you can say, as opposed to just it being a, a practical choice. And that was, you know, I was kind of, my career was forward, but I was the, um, I was the first to get to Broadway and, um, and have a career and Kristen's career, not that it was, um, not going well, it was going great, but, um, she was definitely seen as kind of like, um, you know, in our partnership, she was practically the junior partner. Um, and when we started writing Frozen, um, it, which is a show about two women discovering their power, claiming their power, um, it, I got to watch Kristen and our other collaborator, Jen Lee, go through the same um, process of finding their power, finding mm-hmm. their power as women um, supporting one another in a process of women making a story about women where in which the the Disney princess became the subjective uh, hero of the mm-hmm. story. And um, it was an eye-opening thing in our marriage, honestly, because I always thought of myself as, well, I'm kind of the breadwinner. Kristen's doing great. I'm supporting Kristen. We're doing, we're doing this together. But it through that process, watching Kristen come into her own artistically, gaining confidence, making choices, calling shots, um, and finding finding um, all of this energy, it was a you know it was a boost honestly to our marriage, and it was a mm. it was it was great to make our collaboration more equal and our partnership more strong, and mm. that's why I think that's why we really have only worked together since because it's. It's been such a, an exciting um, process of, of seeing each other. That's, that's so beautiful. And if I can <laughs> just add, I mean, yeah. I'm very lucky to have a partner who, who gave me the space to do that. I think other, other marriages might have imploded in that um, growth period uh, for me. Mm-hmm. And what's also interesting, just very quickly, is that when you look at the projects we've done together, that we, we're very lucky that we only choose the things that really speak to our gut in mm-hmm. a big way. Mm. And one of the first things we did was Finding Nemo, the musical, which is in Disney World. Um, it plays like 11 times a day or something. Right. Um, and that was about that. We wrote that just as we were having a child. Mm-hmm. And it was about like protecting a child and letting it out in the world. Mm-hmm. Frozen was when we had two little girls, an older one and a younger one. Right. Frozen 2 was about growth and sort of letting them go into the world and figure out their purpose. Coco uh, is sort of about how do you stay in touch and keep your family close, even when they're on the other side. Mm-hmm. We were losing Bobby's mom. Like so yeah. much of the what we infuse our projects with uh, is actually what we are going through mm-hmm. in our own relationship, in mm-hmm. our own lives, in our own families. Um so I don't know if the whole next process is going to be all about um, hot flashes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> You're definitely going to be taking lead on that one, Kristen. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's more like Goddard Demerol. Oh my gosh! <laughs> but we're gonna get we're gonna get to offer it again in just a second. Oh, that that's so beautiful, and thank you for being so uh, vulnerable with that, um, Bobby and Kristen. Because you know, even just being able to talk so openly about what that dynamic was like before you know, you became this unbelievable, you know, power couple, that's, that's, um, that's, that's really tender stuff. And, and the truth is we're all dealing with these kinds of complex dynamics in our relationships, relationships, whether we're in the arts or not. And uh, I just really appreciate you sharing that. Um, thank you. Um, so let's go back to Gritter Demerung for a second. Um, uh, we're not going to get into a, a deep probe of Wagner or the ring cycle per se, but we were talking uh, before the recording start, started about, uh, or, or maybe even earlier in the show, we were talking, we were talking about opera. Uh, and I, I want to dive into this question while I have all four of you here um, about opera and musical theater, because we're in this period of time where these you know, big challenges to the performing arts, whether it's in commercial theater or in the nonprofit space, and I think it's a period of time where innovation and exploration and boldness are really going to be the things that uh, ultimately win the day, even if we're really in this particular moment just trying to figure out how to sort of make it through a tough uh, period of time in, in, in live theater in particular. And, um, and one of the things that I see as uh, an opportunity is a connection between uh, opera and theater and musical theater. You mentioned uh, Janine Tesori a little while ago, who has uh, you know uh, reached across both of these spaces uh, very successfully, uh, but but uh, starting with um, starting with Bobby and Kristen, it, it, what is the difference, if any, between opera and musical theater? Because I think the blurrier that line is, the more exciting the opportunities are. Is there a difference at all from your perspective? Um. I did take, I fell in love with opera at Williams College and I, I did take um, a wonderful class called Verdi versus Wagner. Uh, mm -hmm. And oh, yeah. at the same time, I was obsessed with musical theater and listening to Sondheim all the time and, you know, thought I was a Vita. Uh, and um, <laughs> um, I think one of the biggest differences, if I, is that opera can take the time to really slow down time and steep itself in just the emotion and musicality and, and uh, you know, excellence in music, in music uh, for a second without driving the story forward. Mm. It has a, it has a certain um, flexibility around music versus story. I mm. think um, in general, musical theater has to be very, very careful. Uh, it's more the promise between the audience and the creators um, is that the story will keep moving forward. You and now there are the exceptions to these moments. Um, you know, wonderful eleventh hour, eleventh. Uh, uh, what is it? What's the word? Eleven o'clock number. Thank you. Eleven o'clock numbers. Right. Um, you know, big moments where time stops and mm -hmm. you you get uh, you know. Maria and Tony dancing and snapping with each other, but uh, very often the story wins all and there's a, a timer on how long you I can see. steep yourself in musicality. Interesting. That, I think that's the biggest difference to me. I, I think you're right. Uh, I think that a lot of it has to do with these, these unspoken 
contracts or promises between performers and an audience. Um, and then there's the, um, the unspoken traditions around which it's created. I think like, for example, I know in, in opera, you come to rehearsal knowing the material, right? Um, whereas in musical theater, all of that is, all that is taught. And, mm. um, there's, there's a lot of weird little differences in the, in the, um, in the making of mm-hmm. department. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, but from a cultural I, I perspective. I think it's one of those yeah. things that breaks yeah. down the closer you look. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, you know, you can watch an opera, um, an operatic production of a Sondheim show and the same show on Broadway. I'm thinking of Sweeney Todd right now. Right. And there's very little difference. Um, so, you know, um, I think obviously there's, there's, the two are related. They're, they're pretty close cousins. Yeah. Right. One yeah. of the things that I think is makes it close cousins um, are the m- use of motifs. Mm-hmm. I think I think that uh, Wagner and his motivic work is all over all over some of the best musicals mm-hmm. uh, that you create a motif for a character and that evolves throughout the show, giving it a unified musicality, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if you're using them far more. I, w- I want to say efficiently or maybe more uh starkly in musical mm-hmm. theater than you mm-hmm. get to use them in opera interesting interesting you know just going back to um i agree with you about about the power of of motives in music and and that the best musicals and the best operas you feel like you know the characters emotionally on a certain level because those motives have been so well employed uh, through an entire show um uh, you know, one of the conversations that's happening in the opera space now, uh, to, to your point, Kristen, about, uh, you know, not being able to languish in the, or you said steep. I love that. I love that metaphor, um, to steep in the music. Uh, there's this discussion about, you know, should more operas be like 90 minutes? And then you're talking about cuts that would create a propulsion that feels probably more like what you're thinking about with musical theater. And, and because there's this Perhaps there's a little bit of a, a grass is greener perspective that, you know, this this dynamic of the book leading the score, the score leading the book, um, uh, you know, we, we're looking over at the fence and saying, oh, wouldn't it be great, you know, for, for Elsa to have a 13 minute aria and cabaletta <laughs> or something like that. Uh, uh, we're, we're on the opera side. We're saying, oh, you know, for for new audiences, they might not be ready for, you know, for the immolation scene and, and the ring cycle, and, and they might need something that's tauter and more more uh, propelled in order to feel like they can relate uh, emotionally to, to the work. Um, Stephen and Yoon, what, what do you think about what, what you just heard? Do you see it sort of the same way? Do you see these as the same forms, or what's their relationship to you? Well, I see a lot of similarities between opera and musical theater, uh, because, you know, opera is mostly European-based. And musical theater is very American-based. It started mm-hmm. mostly here, you know, uh, with, uh, I think, Gershwin pieces are very uh, operatic, operatic. Uh, uh, what is the other Boy one? Uh, what is it? Borgamas? No, uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein. Oh. They're mm-hmm. very, I mean, back in the day, they were done by operatic voices, you know? There's a lot of things like uh, in opera, like Carmen and uh, Manon that are, that are, have a lot of singing ensembles and they have dialogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So there's a lot of similarities between it. I think for some reason, somewhere along the line, we we separated the two. And mm-hmm. I think um, 
you know, an opera house can do musical theater. And I think, a, a, you know, the West End and Broadway can do opera. They did it with uh, Baz Luhrmann's La Boheme. Difficult mm, right. because, you know, you needed three casts and because the music is, is, is very taxing on the voice and to do it, mm. you know, eight shows a week, it's, it's difficult. But it's also difficult on musical theater performances, performers to do right. eight shows a week. Right. Uh, you know, I personally, as I, I started in musical theater, that's that's what I was comfortable with. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I wasn't comfortable as as an American uh, musician with languages. I'm, I come from a, a family that speaks one language. We're a one language family. We're not bilingual. Right. Uh, so to do something in Italian was frightening and German was frightening. Uh, anything with French. So musical theater gave me that opportunity to be able to create a song with my voice using mm. a language that mm. I knew. Uh, and it also got me into acting and got me into the drama and finding a character arc. And so I think we can learn a lot from, from, from both forms, both styles. And I think, as you said before about uh, when you come to rehearsal, you already know the music, but that's not entirely true. During, I did a, a long time ago, I did a, a new piece called Moby Dick. It was new at the time. And yes, there was a form, there was a structure, there was a score that was written. But once we got there, a lot of the arias changed, the music changed. Uh, we had to relearn things uh, because once you hear it in person in the ensemble setting, some things worked, some things didn't work. And uh, the composer and the librettist were opening to, to changes to make the stronger. Uh, I think the only reason uh, opera is like that because more people are afraid to take a chance on a new mm. piece because mm. for some reason, in opera, the opera fans are very stuck in the past, very stuck on what was already out there, what's already written, what's mm. already performed. And maybe it's because of people like me that, you know, they're comfortable with things they know. If, they, if they're not bilingual, it's hard for them to, to look into something else. Mm-hmm. They've learned the opera. They've learned everything about it. And they're, that's what they know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, I think the only way opera is going to survive is if it evolves. It has to. I mean, look at musical theater. It's evolved so much over the years. And you still go back to the things like Sweeney Todd is back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you have room for new things, new new styles, new genres of music on and Broadway. I think we need to do the same thing with opera. Right. Uh, just because the audience has changed, the audience has evolved. You don't want to say people that love the old style are, are either there or not there, or they've passed it on to their kids, and some haven't. So we ha- we need to evolve to keep the, the art form alive. Yeah, that, that's a huge point that... In the world of theater, the question is always, what's coming next? What are the new shows that are coming out? And then, uh, Bobby and Kristen, you were talking about awards. You know, this idea that we're we're constantly having an expectation in the theater space of new works that are going to sort of, uh, you know, wow us. That's it's it's not that that's not happening in opera. In fact, there's probably more vital time in terms of the creation of new opera now than than ever before. Well, we don't center it as the, the primary expectation. It's true that traditional work still has an incredible uh, pull of gravity. Uh, Yoon, uh, do you see it the same way? Uh, opera and musical theater are very close worlds. Uh, anything out of this that you, you wanted to pull out? I, I just wanted to add something as an instrumentalist and someone who doesn't, I'm not that familiar with musical theater. I mean, he drags me to musicals <laughs> and I enjoy them, but I'm just, I, I, I have, I didn't grow up with it and it's not just, um, could you just grab it? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry. We have a very, uh, maybe dog, but <laughs> I just wonder as an instrumentalist and as someone in the orchestra are, 
it, am I right that most musicals, the orchestra has a click track? Is that correct? Am I right in assuming that, or is that uh, not? not um, some of the numbers need a click because it needs to. Um, it needs Fortnite. to be timed. Things need to be timed to other mm-hmm. to recordings that get played during. Mm-hmm. The, but not not every song. That's not the norm. I was just wondering if maybe the only difference that I could see as a kind of an outsider is that. Um, musical theater is very much focused on, like you said, the storytelling and the acting and the singers. And perhaps some of the greatest operas are just as great, even if the singers weren't there or the preludes mm. or the, mm. the the actual music. Um, and I'm not, I, I could be wrong. There could be some Broadway musicals that have that, that focus on that. But um that's my little one cent as a violinist. It's it's, <laughs> well, it's some good of discussion. the older ones, you know, when you think about Leonard Bernstein, you brought up Gershwin, you brought up Rogers and Hammerstein, uh, that they were all listening to a lot of opera. They were all raised going to more opera. Um well, you know, I, also the, the the conductor of New York Philharmonic right. for years. Probably mm-hmm. the best conductors in New York Philharmonic, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So he he was very steeped in both worlds. Um and What's interesting is uh, you also have to look at the breeding grounds for where the creators are coming from. And the musical theater writers uh, are coming from all over the place, but they're Mm -hmm. coming from workshops like they're coming from NYU. They're coming from the BMI workshop. They're coming Mm -hmm. from college. They're coming from loving hip hop and Mm -hmm. pop music Mm -hmm. and and a different kind of storytelling and then those people who are who are coming to to be career opera creators are often coming out of conservatories coming out of places um so that is also going to completely affect the who is telling the story and how they are going to tell the story mm-hmm. perhaps so, like the, i guess the best of both worlds would be if we could all learn from each other and take yeah the good in everything and maybe it will be more of a one art form one day that's 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 just right and i think that sort of gets to the core of this whole episode which is how um, two parts can make something uh, greater than their their sum uh, whether it's in a relationship or whether it's the pairing of uh, opera and musical theater. And uh, I think that's a beautiful message. Um, bringing it home, Joe. Bringing it home. I'm bringing it you know, home. <laughs> You're feeling that, it. <laughs> that period of time, Joe, when we were, when we were, when we met uh, in the late nineties yep. was a, was a prime moment of musical theater and opera crossover. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some wonderful albums that came out around then. Do you know the, the Dawn Upshaw I wish it so. Album. Oh yeah, we have that album. Absolutely. Um, yep. And obviously, Audrey McDonald. Um, mm-hmm. There's just some. You know, it was a it was a cultural fad at the time. And the three and tenors. I miss it. The three, three tenors. tenors. My parents always being like, put on the three tenors. That had just come out my <laughs> the summer uh, or immediately before my first summer as a student at Tanglewood, the Boston University Tanglewood Institute. Everyone was playing the three tenors all the time, and that was a a watershed moment for our our field. That was a moment w- which we haven't really repeated since then, where 
where our art form burst through sort of the, the, the public imagination uh, in the way that some of the work that you've done, Bobby and Kristen, has done. And, and I, think we, I think we all need those moments of inspiration that just kind of explode our perception of how people relate and connect with these art forms and see themselves in the, in the art forms. So I mean, um, I think that's the most important because if there isn't a connection between what's being performed and the audience that comes and sees it, they, they don't exist anymore. That's it. That's it. That's it. Okay, so we're going to just do a quick speed round real fast before we tie off. Uh, Stephen and Yoon, um, if you had to perform in one musical theater piece, real or imagined, uh, today, what would the piece be? Oh, Les Mis. Hands Les down. Mis. Okay, Yoon? It's <laughs> <laughs> just like, what, what is here. a musical theater? <laughs> <laughs> That I actually would want to think that's you know, the title or anything of it. It's the humor. It's the. That's Lame Is. Lame Is. All right. We'll, we'll work it out. I couldn't even Bobby, hear it. I can't <laughs> Bobby and Kristen. If, Bobby and Kristen, if you had to compose an opera tomorrow, what would the subject matter be? Real fast. First first instinct. Don't think about well, it. Would it, be in, would it be in Italian or German? It, oh, it could be. It, it, it could be a Lopez E. I think we did say German. Uh, no, Kristen, um, what would it be? I don't. I think it'd be fun to do a James Bond Ooh, opera. Nice, uh, James Bond. I, I think it'd be expensive. It'd be very expensive, but couldn't you imagine? Like the yes. villains would get these amazing arias. And, oh, I like and it. And if you could pay we'll get for Julie Taymor. Set Absolutely, Julie Taymor would be available for that. I'm sure. Maybe though, James Bond could be female, <laughs> yeah, like a female okay. James Bond. Opera. Okay. Yes. Yes. I like this. I think. I think. <laughs> I like what I like about the James Bond answer. And but both of these stories, Les Mis and James Bond, they're they're kind of epic in scale. And I think that that's something that you know, if I'm gonna, I I I really feel like opera musical theater are on a continuum more than delineated in any sort of way. But if I was to say, here's a thing that makes opera different is is this kind of elevating of the storyline when there's kind of something just kind of epic. And I feel like the sometimes the momentous nature of the music kind of mm -hmm. helps achieve that, that elevated level. But um, good discussion today, everybody. Thank you so much for uh, being with us on this episode of Unmike. Bobby, it's great to reconnect with you. Kristen, great to meet you. And, and Stephen and you, great to see you guys again. Thank you so much for being here today. And uh, we look forward to welcoming everyone back for another episode of Unmike. <laughs>